in a conversation if you've just joined the series, and it's very nice to see every week more people in church. And I think that there will be a tipping point, and I think that by Christmas, I think we will all be, and we will be the presents under the Christmas tree ourselves, I think. <laughs> but we we're in a conversation about worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, and we're trying to sort of navigate, discuss what it looks like to build our lives wisely. And I'm sharing this message because I'm a little worried that the world is becoming smart but not wise. And smart means, you know, the kids, eh, at the back there, eh? that's very exciting. You know you're aging a little though when you start getting emails saying you're almost 50 now and you qualify for a retirement village shortlist. I actually got one the other day, yesterday, and I have deleted, blocked, unfriended, unfollowed that person, all our mutual friends, and anybody related to them. I don't know what agent of Satan whispered in your ear to send me that email, but that is out of order, comrades. That is out of order. Nobody asked for your help. Um, but but I'm, I'm a little worried that the world is getting very smart, which means an accumulation of information, but not wise, which is the ability to apply the information. So we've just gone through this, and listen, everything is being pulled apart. Should the church exist? Is the Bible true? That's being pulled apart. But don't take it personally. We're still trying to work out what a boy and a girl is. That's being pulled apart. Everything is going down to ground zero but it's going to create problems for us. It's going to create problems for us when we aren't wise enough to know what, what's right and true for us. And there is a value there that's incredibly important. We wound ourselves so much uh, out there in knowledge that we don't have wisdom anymore. So even simple things like a gender reveal party is now complicated. What do we do? Wait for the child to be old enough and then pop the balloon themselves? Oh, I'm going to get emails. You know I'm going to get emails. But, but don't be upset with me. You made the problem. I didn't make the problem. It wasn't complicated, but it became through an accumulation of a type of information complicated. And I think that's dangerous. That doesn't mean we should be anti-information. I think we should keep accumulating information. And knowledge. I think we should keep researching and finding out more. But when it comes to application, I reserve the right to determine what is wise for me and what is wise in the eyes of the Lord. That's each person's decision. So today, I want to talk about wisdom workers. How to expand your wisdom. I thought perhaps I should start uh, with an example referring, referencing food. So that always seems to settle people when we talk about food. Um, in particular, I think KFC is a good place. to. So this is not paid sponsorship, and I'm very aware that it is not necessarily uh, the you know, best vegan choice. Um, so I, I know that. But I have an annoying habit when it comes to eating uh, KFC. I, I don't like leaving any of it behind. And so I, I'm one of those people who actually choose the, the bones. Yes, I am. I'm so sorry. I get the marrow inside of the... How many of you are quite disgusted with me right now? I feel like we must go all out. I have on one occasion, I don't do this anymore because it's bad for the dogs. I did leave some chicken bones that were left behind and my dog looked at them and then looked at me 
and left. It's like, there's nothing left there. What is that? Must I throw it away for you? What, what is that? But on one occasion, I did that, and I knew as I bit into the bone, I'd broken a tooth. You know that moment where you go, that, was, that doesn't sound right. And so I made an appointment the following day, went to, I nearly said the vet, which is stuck, stuck in my mind. Uh, I, I went to the dentist and he said, I'm going to have to extract. We can't, it's had root canal and various other things and we, uh, in the past and we're going to have to extract. And I didn't want that. I just didn't want to be the guy with the missing tooth. And he said, look, we can fix that, but I knew that it would take several months of being the guy with the missing tooth. I said, patch it. He said, it's, he said, I said, just patch it. We can put people on the moon, or can we? I mean, who knows? We can put people on the moon. Can you patch? I'm just referencing how complicated knowledge has become. Uh, because I'm fascinated that people say you can't be sure that the Bible is true, and the very same people can't be sure what happened in 1970. So what are you sure about? Nothing. So then I'm going to go back to being sure about the Bible. Because if you're inviting me into your uncertainty, I don't want to go there. I want to stay in my certainty. Can you say amen to that? I want to stay in my certainty. Anyway, the vet dentist uh, uh, patched it on my request. But he told me as I was leaving, he said, this is not going to work. I said, I will buy super glue on the way on the way home if I have to, but I'm not going to be that guy. It didn't last 24 hours. It had to be extracted, and I was so annoyed. And and this is a confession now because um, uh, my dentist listens to the messages. Um, I was embarrassed and didn't want to go back to that dentist, <laughs> so I chose another one. It's how I landed up with my current dentist, Doctor Krundling. I went and saw him and he said, look, we're going to have to extract. I said, you know, I'm so tired of, but I said, okay, do what you got to do. He said, but, he said, come back in a couple of days. I've got a dental plan for you. That sounds serious. I went back a couple of days. He's out there in Newton Park. And he said, I'm going to extract two teeth. I said, you know, (laughs) do you know how I landed up here? He said, I'm going to extract two teeth and then I'm going, to, I'm going to fix the top because you've been grinding and you've split the sides of your teeth. I'm going to fix that. And then I'm going to put some veneers in the front and I'm going to put, uh, what are those things? Those implants. He said, it's going to take about three, four, six months. You're going to look good. Look, you, you look okay now, but you're going to look good. I've got a plan. And I said, well, you know, uh, the thing about plans is the plans co- cost money. I said, how much is this great plan of yours going to cost me? He said, no, no, look, I, I, I come to church. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to, you just pay for the materials. You pay for the materials and I'll do what I can. Well, he, he was true to his word. He even got implant companies to sponsor two implants. I got two sponsored teeth. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> You think you're, a, you're an influencer. you got nothing on me until you get sponsored teeth. They, they, they should have a brand on there. I go to talk with my... 
And he did, he did that. And, and I needed a scan in the end. And he said, go see Dr. Malani. He's sponsoring that. And the veneer people said, we're going to... I eventually started taking it personally. I thought, did they take one look at my face and said, look, we've got to sponsor this guy. It's, it's, we can't leave him walking around in public like that. Anyway, it took some time and the repairs were done. And, it, and eventually he said, can I do a before and after seminar at like a dentist specialist thing? I said, at this point, do what you like. My, my pride is gone. <laughs> but there is a principle that would, it would seem strange to take out of a story like that. And that sometimes the thing we're trying to patch to keep on and keep going because of pride is the very thing that has to be extracted out of your life so that something better of an improvement can take place. So you've got a broken thing. It's an unrighteous thing. It's not holy in its nature, but you really want to keep it going, you know, because you've got pride and you don't want to be the guy with the missing tooth. So instead, you, you hold on to it. You've got a relationship that's not godly, but you don't want to be the single guy, so you hold on to it. And you've got a theory that is not righteous, but you don't want to seem like the guy who's outdated, so you hold on to it. And you know, all Jesus wants to do is extract the offending part of your life so that he can implant something worthwhile in its place. And you know, there is something about recognizing that when ungodly wisdom occupies my heart, then righteousness can't flourish because it takes space. See, I love Zimmy. Those of you online, uh, Zimmy shared, uh, uh, in our gatherings rather, Zimmy shared on giving. And she talked about Zacchaeus. Was, I love that story very much because I've always teased as the short guy, you know, and climbing the tree, you know, and um, I quite like uh, plants. So, so there's a connection there. But, but she said something interesting. She read something interesting that, uh, that when Zacchaeus said, I- I'm going to pay back everybody I stole from, Jesus said, salvation has come to your house. Let me tell you, there's an interesting principle there that when Zacchaeus found Jesus, salvation came to his heart. But when Zacchaeus applied wisdom, salvation came to his house. And we have a lot of saved souls living in unsaved circumstances. Their houses aren't built wisely. The wise man builds his house on on the rock. It's, It's literally all over Scripture. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 19 says, wisdom makes one wise person powerful, more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Do you know that the wisdom God gives you is a kind of gift that has authority or power to it. Wise people have authority. They speak with authority, they have clarity of thought and confidence of expression. Ecclesiastes reminds us that your power is not not, uh, uh, the wisdom of this world, your power is the wisdom that comes from God. In the book of Daniel, I think some of you know this story very well, Daniel chapter 5. I'm only going to read the part towards the end, but it's the part in the Bible where uh, the, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, sees a, 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 a hand writing uh, on a wall and doesn't understand what it means. And you know, it's become a popular saying now, you know, the writing's on the wall? That comes from this passage of Scripture. When people say, well, the writing's on the wall, it's the end of something, or you can see where it's going, or it's over. 
but they can't work out. They've got all the scientists and the astronomers and the whatever's coming together and discussing what does this thing mean and what is the writing law? And, and nobody knows. And of course, um, the king has a wise queen and she uh, comes and speaks to him. It goes like it's the queen. Uh, because of the words of the king and his lord, so she overheard them talking, came to the banquet hall. Queen spoke up and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your, uh, your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the Spirit of the Holy God, in whom is the Spirit of the Holy God. And in the days of your father, uh, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father made him chief over the magicians, astrologers, soothsayers, Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, note this about Daniel, an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpretation of dreams and solving riddles, explanation um, uh, was found in Daniel, whom the king named uh, by another name, Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and let him give the interpretation. I wanted to point something out here. I like this for a few reasons. Daniel was so wise that he was in charge of even the magicians, the astronomers, the astrologers. Now, Christians these days don't want to be in the same room with people that don't agree with them, which robs them of the opportunity to lead that room. So we leave the room and go to rooms where our leadership is not needed. Instead, we go to rooms where our leadership is argued. So Christians leave the room because they're afraid that it's ungodly and then argue amongst themselves and leave the decision-making to be made by the unrighteous. Get back in the room. No, no, I know some people will say, yes, but you mustn't be unequally yoked together. You know, in business, I shouldn't have an unsafe person in my boardroom. That's not always up to you. And if it's not up to you, stop vacating the boardroom because at some point, everybody else in the room will not have the wisdom needed. And in that moment, the leader, the king, the authority, the CEO will say, what do you have to say? And the righteousness and wisdom of God will come to bear in a room that has exhausted all its options. See, Daniel was good at untangling riddles and good, good at solving problems, good at interpreting dreams. Now, people aren't good at that. We're good at, ex, at identifying a riddle, but not good at explaining a riddle and bringing a solution. People are scared of that because they want to reach a conclusion too quickly. I want to encourage you today to reach for godly wisdom. Ask the Lord to give you a spirit of wisdom and understanding. I want to talk to you how to arrive at that. Firstly, I want to share with you three stretching exercises. We've already talked about the humor of turning 50, which will happen next year sometime. I'm just owning my age. I'm very excited to be turning 50. And I'll tell you why. While I was in Cyprus, I, I had to go for a PCR test. You have to do that. Quite fascinating how they've handled the whole thing. Um, you, you, you have to uh, create a digital footprint of yourself when you land in the island and they randomly SMS you and say you have 24 hours to get a test. Just random. And you must submit your reply with your result on the, on the thing and then they're happy and, and I, I thought it, it can't be that serious. Uh, 24 hours sounds a bit dramatic for an island. They phoned me the next day. Sir, sorry, you haven't, uh, must we take it to the airport? So anyway, I did it. 
I did it. Uh, um, but when I went for the test, the, the, the lady looked at my, my, my passport uh, ID. Uh, uh, she said, you were born in when? I said, no, it's right. She said, you sure? I said, yeah, it's right. I said, why? She said, yeah, no, you're not too bad for 50. I thought, you know, these are my people. Eh? <laughs> these are my people. But uh, uh, one of the life lessons you learn as you, as you get wiser you get wiser. I used to run on the treadmill and get myself all knotted up. And I'd go and see a chiro and you'd say, do you stretch? And I'd always say yes. But that was a stretch. <laughs> and I learned later, I could save myself quite a lot of pain and money if I just stretched. You're getting yourself worked up. You're putting yourself in a bit of a knot. So you're not stretching. And stretching has a spiritual implication, and I'll, I'll explain. Stretching means to move the muscle to just uncomfortable distances. We've got to stretch a little. Comfort isn't always good for us. Discomfort can be very valuable to us. Discomfort can be very valuable to us. So there are a couple of stretching exercises, mental stretching exercises, which always keep in mind when we're trusting God for godly wisdom. The first one is that all worldly wisdom is perishable. You must bear that in mind, that whatever is known is not fully known. And that whatever is known will at some point evolve. And that's very important. Because if you're making eternal decisions based on perishable things, you should keep that in mind. You know, when I uh, went to school, the smallest thing on the world was an atom. And then as science evolved, they said, wait, hang on, hang on, within it, there is a thing that's smaller. We didn't know that. That knowledge was perishable. And as science developed a little further, they said, well, now hang on, there's electrons and there's, and, and we got smarter. Just remember that whatever we know now is not final, it is perishable. And be careful not to let somebody beat you over the head and tell you, but we know better now. No, 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 we know in part now. We'll decide later if we know better. But for now, we know in part. And the one thing you know for sure, everybody who's sort of my age and older, anybody 30 and older will tell you, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. You don't know. Isn't that true? So I'm not going to make life-altering decisions on perishable goods. God said, build our lives with gold, silver and precious stones. Wood, hay and stubble is a second rate. Some people have skipped gold, silver, precious stones. They've skipped wood, hay and stubble. They're building their lives on vegetables, perishables. It's like a 24-hour theory. It's a 24-hour theory. And we put the Bible on hold and we put our faith on hold. And we've got all kinds of things happening on hold. And then next year or the year after, someone's going to say, hang on, you know, you know what we thought we knew? Well, we didn't know it. We didn't know enough. Here's my theory. It's just a theory. But what science is doing is taking the long road back to an eternal truth that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And why not take that route? There's nothing wrong with that. But I will wait on the eternal truth of Scripture for what the world knows to come to us instead of us running around chasing after what the world knows. Worldly wisdom is perishable. Therefore, once more, I was astounded, Isaiah 29 says, I was astounded these people um, with uh, wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. It'll vanish. The second stretch on worldly versus godly wisdom is that worldly wisdom is partial. What I mean by that is nobody ever gets the full picture. It's partial. Do you know, even you and I only know God partially. We can't know Him fully. But He knows us fully. And in Him resides all wisdom and knowledge. There is one thing that sees fully, and that's our Savior. But everybody else sees partially. Everybody else sees partially. You know, we had an interesting debate with one of my siblings who's a Cairo. Um, and he's trying to work out what this faith thing is and couldn't quite make sense of it. And then I said to him, do chiropractors agree on everything? And he said, oh, no, no. So no, some people, some of what I see on YouTube is nonsense. Stretching people over things and bashing them into walls and that, that stuff should stop. So it sounds like a charismatic church service to me. <laughs> The point being that uh, we know in part and the part you know you hold on to as if it is the only part and everybody else's part is wrong. But here's what we know about the Word of God. It is true and let every man be a liar by comparison because we only know partially. That's why wisdom is not knowledge. It is something discerned by the Spirit. The Bible says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. See, God's word has no partiality to it. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't uh, define only itself in one way or another. That's why you can find believers in every culture worshiping the same Jesus because God is fully known to them, even though they know God only partially. Isn't that incredible? First Corinthians says, by means of this one spirit, we all uh, said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to be independently call our own shots. But then when we entered into a large an integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. You want to be wise. You let God have the final say in everything because it's the only way to build a large and integrated life. And it's the only way to avoid knowing partially and therefore living partially. Let the man with the information have the final declaration. Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? It also means I'll never know all of it. I just need to know the one who knows it all. My third stretch is that worldly wisdom is painful. 
Do you know that worldly, worldly wisdom, worldly knowledge hurts? The only way you can overcome it is by making statements like, it is what it is. <laughs> oh, I see you've used it. Today still. How many of you stood in front of an ATM and said, it is what it is? You know, when the only thing that ATM gives you is the piece of paper at the bottom <laughs> that invites you to consult your local bank. Oh, well. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, 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 I listened to a podcast the other day, about a TED talk the other day about the disparity between the number of men and the number of women in the world and the different age groups and there's real concern about sort of marriageability and are we going to have to ignore monogamy and rather sort of go the route of uh, the foothills of KZN, you know, share. Excuse me, that was unnecessary. There he is minding his own business sick at home and I'm insulting him here in a sermon. But Um, Andre, lekker gelach daar But here's the problem with science. The science can tell you there's a disparity, but what science can't tell you is people fall in love. People fall in love. God puts people in families, the Bible says. You can't account for that. Apart from that, it just hurts. People say the planet has so much time left, so much resource left, so much oil left, so much this and so much that. All that knowledge just hurts. We should take some action. But I want to tell you that no matter what happens, the only way this planet comes to a grinding stop is if the one who upholds it by the power of his word says today. Now, that doesn't mean we should behave irresponsibly. I get that. But I just want for you to know that it's not all in our hands as if we are as mighty as we think we are because we know as much as we know. It's held together by the power of His Word. And on the day that He comes and says, let's wrap this thing up, that's the last day. Can you say amen to that? Not another day. Ecclesiastes 7 says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Some of you are asking questions you don't need the answer to. Walk in the wisdom of God, not in the ways of the world. I have like three more points, which I will not get to. But the nice thing is that I, I'll be here next week. It would be lovely if you came uh, for the rest, I have three strengthening exercises I want to tell you about. Maybe I'll just give you the highlights. Is that okay? Then it, it feels like, because I've got to finish in a minute. So three stretching, strengthening exercises, and then we'll talk about them next week. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up from here. Godly wisdom is personal. Godly wisdom is personal. You see, what the Lord has in mind for you won't be exactly the same for somebody else. Science says 
tough luck. You were born in this region, you come from this DNA pool, and you're in that economic. So the predictable outcome of your life is this. I'm telling you, that is not godly wisdom. That is the spirit of this world. God has a plan for me. It's personal to me. You can't put it on a graph. I don't fit on a curve. I fit in the hand of my Saviour. Watch out what's going on in the world. Everybody's telling you you're nothing but an average. Very dangerous thing that. God is personal and he has a personal plan for me. That stuffs up science in all kinds of ways. Uh, Worldly knowledge in all kinds of ways. But godly knowledge is supreme. Secondly, godly wisdom is emotional. It moves me. You see, you can't research love because love resides in a place that science can't get to. Almost all of what we do is motivated by an emotion, not motivated by, motivated by a fact. How many of you love your car? So you've spent far more on it than makes sense. You love it. So you've got a spoiler in the back, interesting name, You've got hubcaps on it that move independently and light up at night. Can we say amen? <laughs> no, you don't want to admit it. I'll admit it for you. It's okay. You love it. You're moved by something in the, in the passion and the passion produces an action. When God's love is in our hearts, a wisdom comes with the love of God that, that can't be taught any other way. It is the love of God at work in our lives. You love things you didn't think you would love and you hate things you didn't think you would hate because you've moved by the love of God. And finally, godly wisdom is relational. God gives us wisdom through the outworking of our relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the source or, or, or the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. It's not something you can, I mean, you can read it, but you won't retain it until you walk with him and live it. I've read a lot of stuff that I can't remember anymore, but I've seen a lot of things that I've lived out in my walk with Jesus that you can't take from me anymore. There's a power in that. Can you say amen? Yeah, we've come to the end of our conversation and um, it's been a, a thrilling time uh, spent in worship and word. So could we stand together to pray? I'm going to tell you next week how there is a spirit of this world and a spirit of wisdom and revelation and how God breaks the power of the one to create the other. But let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is truth today. We pray that you'll teach us to be wise, not in our own eyes, but wise by the wisdom of the word. Would you teach us to get to know you because you are the, you are the, the source of all wisdom and knowledge. We pray that you'll teach us to build our lives on eternal things, not perishable things. We ask for the wisdom to know the difference in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Would you give God a shout of praise and worship?